Hello, Editor Emily here. Just wanted to say before we jump into today's episode that things aren't always sunshine and rainbows when starting out in these industries. We talk about some of the more difficult stuff today and as with every episode, we are talking about our own personal experiences and opinions, not about the institutions and places we discuss as a rule. So thank you for joining us for today's episode and I hope you enjoy. Cue the theme music. Hello and welcome to The Importance of Staying Earnest, the podcast where we discuss the elements of taking on a career in the arts as a young person in the modern day. So sit down, stand up, grab a tea or something stronger and come with us on our journey to find some direction in our lives. My name is Emily and with me as always is my fellow host and good friend Harry. Today we're talking about working on creative projects uh, over long distances, the ups and downs of trying to start a theatre company, as well as hopefully having some fun stuff in the mix as well and talking about musicals. Uh, And with us to have these wonderful conversations is this time my very talented friend, Steph. We've had a lot of uh, Emily's friends and this time it's my friend. (laughs) How are you doing, Steph? Uh, Do you want to introduce yourself and say hello? Yeah, hi, I'm doing great. Um, I am an actress and singer. I've done a couple professional musicals, and currently I'm teaching and applying for drama schools uh, for master's programs. Oh, cool. Where are you applying? If you don't mind my asking. Oh, God, so many places. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I've applied to Mount View, uh, Guildford School of Acting, Royal Academy of Music, Royal Welsh College of Drama, and um, Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Gosh. The small time. Set. Small time. And then maybe Rada and Lambda, we'll see. Mm. Is that to start like this coming year or of like you do the auditions yeah. at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So I'm currently filming auditions and sending them over. Nice. We love a good virtual audition. So that's audition. a good... Oh, yeah. For a bit of context, Steph, you are not... All of our other people that we're talking to are based in the UK. You are not currently based in the UK. And so thankfully, you've joined us this evening um, where it's much later for you than it is for us. Um but you're based, you're in Qatar at the moment, aren't you? You were in Singapore, yeah. you're now in Qatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my family's kind of based all over the world. Um, we're very, we're quite an international bunch, especially my mom's side. And like my brother and I grew up pretty much everywhere um, between the UK, Singapore, and then the Middle East. Um, and so Qatar is just where my family's based right now. So what's it like trying to get all those auditions from that? perspective in terms of everything you do even though everyone's now doing it online I suppose but from the perspective of trying to do it and maybe judge time zones do you have any live auditions I actually don't know this um for initial auditions I don't think any schools are doing live auditions but I think for recalls they might do like a live zoom interview and then for me to be honest I would just if it was like a ridiculous time where they messaged me and it was like three in the morning for me, I would just send an email back because they do know like I'm technically an international student. Mm. Um, And I have no problem if it is a ridiculous time, even if it's drama school, I have no problem just going and saying like, hey, sorry, but this is like super duper inconvenient. Mm. Um, And normally they're super chill about it. I'm going to say they do get international students, so they they must be used to having to (laughs) make sure that certain students for their auditions are at particular times. Yeah, and I mean, I think now, especially because of, yes, the Black Lives Matter protests have sort of, like, pushed this into full gear. But, you know, they do sort of have, I think drama schools now have been criticized for predominantly taking, you know, white students and white British students. Mm. 
So there is a quota that they do have to sort of fill now. Um, and so they do understand. And, and for the most part, I think, are excited about getting international kids auditioning. Yeah, definitely. What what made you decide to sort of go down the UK route for for schools rather than looking elsewhere? Money, to be, to be completely honest. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> If you're looking at the U.S., you're looking at about, and I don't know the conversion to pounds if someone wants to do it, but you're looking at around like 80,000 pounds in fees as an international student. Um, Gosh. Jeez. And that's not including living fees and, you know, like allowances that you'd need. Um, is, that per, is that per year? That's per year. And so for me, because even though I want to do this so badly and like it is my main passion... I cannot justify asking my parents to spend that much money for a career and for a degree mm. that doesn't guarantee you a career, mm. if that makes yeah. sense. And I guess particularly if yeah. there are options to do it sort of just as well, but in, in more cheaply. <laughs> exactly. And I think as well, it's not, I mean, to be honest, I actually genuinely, after doing research, I do think that the, U, the training that you get in the UK is a bit more refined and a bit personal. Um, not that the training that you get in the U.S. is bad, but they do give you sort of um, more of a platform to network in the U.K. Right. because you're not competing with as many people. If you just look at the populations between mm -hmm. the U.S. and the U.K., you know, the U.K. is much, much smaller. Yeah, definitely. It's an interesting perspective. I don't think I've thought about that from a from a population perspective because I know I know there's a, probably a decent more history um naturally with the uk so a lot of the institutions are very historical i mean if you look at things like you know shakespeare company or this kind of stuff they're all based mm. on very historical things and so one would argue that there's a lot of that history provides a lot of insight that maybe the us wouldn't get but the idea of we've i mean we've spoken about competition actually and yeah. so the the perspective of of competition making or lack thereof for as qualified a statement as that is, um, would make it more of an in, in, a kind of insightful or individualized process is quite interesting. Um, what's what's the process been so far? Is it just monologues? Is it songs? How many no, videos of yourself? No, because it's musicals. So each school requires a different amount of things, but normally there's a personal statement um, that you sort of have to give about why mm. you want to do this. Then one or two monologues and again it's if it's two it's going to be contrasting so they want like a Shakespearean or a Jacobean monologue with a contemporary one um, and then the same with songs uh, some schools have required a dance so you either had to self choreograph something or they send you a video and you have to do it I've also done, had to do slates um, so like a slate to camera um, which I think is a bit weird you're basically required to stand there, say your height, um, your hair color, eye color, and sort of like you're, they want to see how you look. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know. I find that, especially for schools, a little problematic. Yeah, that is a bit strange. I guess it's, I don't know if it's the same for all master's courses in the UK, but I know for quite a few, the way that they effectively like select the final students to be a part of the program because there are so few spots um is essentially they're casting for a show because i i believe yeah. that for a lot of master's programs it's it's essentially you will put on a production um 
and so like, I, I've got various friends that have auditioned for drama school and they've gotten through really far and then they've found out they've not got in and a couple of times we've been able to get feedback and it's actually just been a case of they there wasn't a role for them in the show that they were ha- like that they happened mm-hmm. to do that year and stuff so I don't know maybe whether it's to do with that kind of thing but that does feel a bit um yeah I think it's also it's like what I said about the quota right which mm. like there's good and bad things because obviously with a quota of like diverse candidates I guess there are fewer people who audition because it's just not in our culture whether that's Arab Asian you know yeah um African-American it's just not really in our culture our parents are very much like no you have to do sensible things so there are very few of us who audition but then at the same time when you do get that spot or you do get that role there is always that voice in the back of your mind that goes am I just here because I am the diversity candidate am I here because I am the token Middle Eastern or performer interesting um, I'd never thought of it from that perspective before like that um well I've had that and I've been told by certain people like oh you got this role pretty much because of how you look and it's like it's not about the talent and for them the excuse is oh you've just you've just gotten this because of how you look and then you sort of start to tell yourself that narrative and I mean it happens I think in the recent production of nine to five that was on the west end um, one of the dancers spoke about this, like when he got his script, it said black dancer on it. Like that's literally the label that was put on his script. Wow. That's... There is a, a case to be made though, in terms of like, so we operate operating in a visual medium, there is a capacity for casting visually. And so there's a perspective that could be taken. And I agree with you. I think if you divulge, if, or if you diminuate uh, a role entirely just onto someone's looks I think that's ridiculous because you should always cast talent first um, but there is there is a case to be made that certain casting choices you have to take into account I think there the are definitely certain roles that it's important particularly say if it's a show that's based on something historical or if mm. the fact that this person has a particular racial background is like mm-hmm. key to you know some of the plot or or whatever then like of course but say it sounds Mm. like in the example you gave there Steph that it was literally like a background dancing role and therefore yeah that seems a bit ridiculous yeah that I mean obviously I don't know maybe there was more context to it but that does feel a bit a bit much Mm. yeah I definitely I definitely agree I think I wrote an essay about this in (laughs) um when I was at uni but definitely you have shows like Hairspray or The Color Purple and stuff where like race absolutely matters or mm. Miss Saigon. Yeah. And you have to cast accurately. But there are shows like, for example, Les Mis, even though it's historically France, it's fictional. Mm. And they are doing a much better job of casting more diverse. Um, and then shows like Phantom, I guess, or like what I did, Jekyll and Hyde. Like, yeah, okay, they're based in you know certain locations but at the end of the day they're fictional and anyone with any kind of look could be cast in those principal roles mm. and it doesn't matter no i agree i think it's i think it's a really interesting topic um and obviously you guys went to the same uni i, I don't know about what your experience is whether you did got involved with much of the theater stuff there steph our uni experience is interesting actually i think because oh, really we so you were more involved than me but we didn't get cast in anything throughout uni 
until so you did a community theater show in Exeter no. not with the uni yeah so my first uni show I got involved with was in my second year and that was a creative team role um, I only got cast in a show in my third year and actually that was even met with a bit of um, push oh, by really? the committee who said are you sure you want her because I was picked over somebody who had gotten roles a lot before in the past and they said are you sure you want to put Steph as your first role um, but thankfully the creative team for that show were awesome and they were like no we do want her because she's better was it quite like, sort of, who cares if this mm. person's been cast was it quite cliquey mm. and, and such uh, very clicky uh, and that's actually yeah, why I went bit. went to sort of into the community because you know my my thinking was like I love this and I want to be involved so I was like okay did all my auditions, didn't get anything in my first year or really first semester, I should say. And so I went out, I looked at other things that were happening and I happened to see an audition for community theater production and I got cast in that. So I was like, why shouldn't I do that? Yeah. I just want to get experience. And I met with a lot of backlash and a lot of hate um, actually for doing things outside of the uni because there was sort of, I think, this mindset of like, that is not how we do things here. People don't like people don't come to the uni and then go out into the community and do other things. That's so bizarre. Like, it was weird. That's um, so so strange. It, it's strange to think how different it was because I remember when you were saying that you were in what was the production you did uh, before Oliver. Greece. Oliver, that was the one, and I remember you being like, "Oh, you're in Oliver." I was like, and looking through all the stuff for it, I was thinking, "I don't. This is just not to do with the uni. That's surreal." Um, because I don't think anyone else, in our year especially, until second year and the bombshell that was Greece um, mm. occurred, I don't think anyone had even thought about community theatre as an option just to just to go out and get experience. And that ended up being your primary source of... I mean, you've got a lot of social contacts, you've, you've got a lot of friends and stuff. It eventually led to you uh, starting... The, the the company that you tried to get off the ground through that avenue so it's that that difference that that willingness to put yourself in a slightly different position actually defined a lot of what your story was over the three years at uni um, oh yeah for sure do you want to talk a bit about what that looked like in terms of timings or trying to balance uni life or what people uh suggested to you off the back of that um because yeah. i know you got a bunch of you got one of them involved in one of your uni uni projects didn't you I did. So I, the first person that I met who actually was the director of Oliver, Lynn Burgoyne, who is like, she became like my mom in Exeter. <laughs> she was one of just the sweetest ladies ever. And I remember I went in and auditioned for Nancy in Oliver. And she came out after my audition, which like, by the way, this never, ever happens. And she said to me, you would be amazing in this role. You have a stunning voice. But the man that we have cast as Bill is in his 50s and I'm just not going to put you on stage with him. And I really appreciated that. And she was like, but because we really loved you, I'm going to give you this smaller speaking part, which was still, you know, a part in a show. And mm. that was just something I really appreciated. And I kept in contact with her. Um, I also met my business partner during that show because while I was playing a character in the first act, I was in the ensemble in the second act and... I mean, being a principal, while it is great, it can sometimes be quite isolating. Definitely. Um, and so being in the ensemble is a great way to meet new people. And that's how I met her. And then through her, I met a bunch of other people. 
And that's how I met uh, Sarah and David, who directed um, me and Jekyll and Hyde, which was a dream show of mine to perform in. Um, and I still remain very close with them, actually. They've both helped me a lot in my drama school auditions. Um, and so, yeah, I've just, I made all these amazing friends and amazing connections that I wouldn't have if I just sort of stuck to the clickiness of musical theatre in Exeter Uni. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm listening to this from like such a different perspective, um, and it's it's really interesting to me to hear it. But it's like so, for a bit of context for you, Steph. So I went to Manchester and I I was in the committee for Drama Society there yeah. for a couple of years, and I mean to be fair, when I arrived in my first year, there definitely was an element of a sort of you know the kind of almost like inner circle that you need to get your mm. way into. That it kind of sounds like it very much was at Exeter. And then we sort of like changed some of the ways about how shows were put on. And that definitely changed considerably throughout the time I was there. But, you know, I also remember I had friends who, you know, we were all just there to do things. And like, I, I know someone who really wanted to do some Shakespeare and there just never really seemed to be any Shakespeare put on with the drama societies. They made a Shakespeare society and the two societies work closely together. And, you know, it, it was all about finding opportunities, making opportunities, um, I had a few friends that went out and did things in the city outside of uni and everyone would celebrate that and you know go support it so it just it feels so bizarre and you know I mean at the end of the day like theatre is about community and about people and bringing people together and sharing stories and so to have a group of people that sort of frown upon someone doing that just seems bizarre and kind of goes against what it's all about at least in, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, it's it's tricky because while I do think there are, at least with Exeter, a few people who, you know, got into the inner circle and really did try, mm. I feel like it was, you know, at least for me, it was like, it's a little too late. And it sucked that those people had to almost, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say this, but I don't know how, another way to say it, basically prostitute themselves out <laughs> to get <laughs> into these committees right? Um, before any change was going to be made. And I think maybe a lot of people didn't like me because I was just, I refused to do that. I refused to, be, I guess, be all worshipping mm. of these people who were considered at the top. I was like, no, you haven't done anything to gain my respect. So why should I just bend over and do exactly what you tell me to do? Yeah, no, good for you. <laughs> do you think do you think there's a in in the wider context obviously there's there's a lot of discussion in terms of when to stick and when to fault to to turn a phrase with acting especially, you know, what roles do you take for the sake of moving forward that you may not be as comfortable with and there's a lot again God, we've been way too political already. Um, but <laughs> what's coming out, especially with Hollywood in recent years, where do you think the line is drawn? Especially starting out, where it's kind of everything is taken, you know, take every inch, every millimeter of experience or, or something that's thrown at you. What do you think the, how, do, how, do, how have you found trying to navigate that, not only from a uni perspective, but trying to enter into the uh, more professional space as well? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's tough. Look, for me, I've come from a long line of very, very strongly opinionated women. And I hadn't noticed. <laughs> for me, if 
I am ever feeling taken advantage of or I feel like what I'm doing is not going to garner any benefits, um, then yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So to be honest, I haven't really experienced this much professionally, um, you know, in terms of applying for professional jobs, um, whether that is performing or teaching. It was really in the amateur world where I sort of experienced that if you don't do or if you are not exactly what we need you to be and you don't do things in the way that we want you to do things so like if you don't climb your way up the ladder in the way that everyone else has done it then we're not gonna accept you that's kind of wild you'd think that would be the other way around wouldn't you (laughs) i know but i think Mm. as well because now like you said there's such a spotlight on hollywood and sort of the injustices especially taking advantage of younger actors who are like hungry to get work i think you know, it's it's calmed down a lot and people are a lot more respectful. Um, whereas in the amateur industry, it's like, well, no one's looking over us. You know, no one is there to sort of censor, I guess, or um, comment on what we're doing and what we're saying. And this, and it's the same group of people, right? Whereas the professional industry, people come, people go. Mm. It's ever-changing, ever-moving. Whereas a lot of these small towns, especially, I mean, Manchester is different because it's, you know, a bigger city, I guess, community theater in London as well will be different. But in Exeter, it's that same group of people that are running everything and they don't like when you do something different. I suppose there's a strange solidarity and consistency to amateur theater because of the nature of it being opt in as opposed to the professional game has to continue to move. I suppose I never thought about it that way. Yeah, I guess um, yeah. particularly with sort of like Amdram type stuff, it's if you don't like it, you can leave. Like no one's, you know, no yeah. one's forcing you to no be there. No one's paying you to, you to be there because it's not a workplace. There's no specific like guidelines. You can't necessarily like, you know, get people in trouble, call unions, sue, whatever it might be over <laughs> someone behaving inappropriately. Speaking on just on the lines of, of community theatre and stuff, um, I don't know if you wanted to talk a bit about your endeavours with Evolve, Steph. Um I don't know where they're at currently. Um, obviously, my last update on that was a was about a month ago or, or, or so. But you did some pretty fantastic things while you were at uni, and and it seems to be that you know mm-hmm. the pandemic has caused. We've we've been very lucky to talk to a lot of people who also have companies. Emily, you've got one that you're working on at the moment. Mm. Um, I don't know if Steph, you wanted to talk about your experience with trying to trying to run that and and getting that off the ground, especially in as we've just mentioned, a, an environment like Exeter, which is very es- established in its own right and quite unmoving, despite you know maybe not being the biggest community in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I met my business partner in Oliver, and then you know we had a great time together in that show and. Um, we became, you know, very close very quickly as you normally do in a show. And we've sort of been starting to talk about, and she mentioned the um, injustices or <laughs> injustices makes it sound so serious, but I guess like this stuff that was going on within the community and how it wasn't really fair and it was super duper biased and it's the same group of people always getting roles and no one is given an opportunity to do anything different. Um, you know, people who might not be very good but still love theatre never get to do shows because they're never cast and so after you know um, this massive shitstorm that happened with um, a production of Grease 
which I won't go into, um, we decided that we would start a company that was just going to be inclusive and give everyone an opportunity to perform and get on stage and learn um, and just have fun. And we ended up in May of 2019 putting on a really great concert. We did a one-day show with two shows and we ended up overturning a profit. Um, and we had so many people involved, like all the way from, you know, kids aged about six to people, you know, older people in, in their late 50s, um, early 60s. And it was great and it fostered a wonderful environment. Their things were fair. Um, and I was sort of finally like, this is what a theater company, I guess, an amateur theater company should be, right? Sort of working to allow people to perform and just learn from one another and not like cutting people off at the knees just because, you know, they're not in the inner circle. Um, and then we did Rent and we thought, okay, Rent is going to be a little more fine-tuned, I guess. Um, but the creative team, you know, who had seen our first lot of concerts were like, we sort of want to get everyone involved and actually everyone ended up getting cast in the show. Um, and, you know, then the pandemic happened and then issues sort of started to overturn from there because I wasn't there. Um, it's very difficult to be eight hours ahead and to sort of still be involved in something in a different country. Um, and then I guess my priorities changed as well. I looked inward to myself and went, I'm not really ever going to go back to Exeter. I don't want to limit myself to an amateur career in Exeter. Um, I want to move on. And the only way sort of for me to move on was not to be involved in a company that does take a lot of time to manage. Mm. Um, and so for me, I just thought the best thing to do is just to step away. I step away fairly, obviously, because I put quite a lot into the company financially. Um, so to get financial, I guess, restitution for my half, um, but not to sort of screw anyone over and just sort of to let the company evolve, I guess you could say, as <laughs> it wants to, um, just without me. Yeah, I think that's a really brave decision and to come to and look with it and realize what, what would be the best for you, like not just in the next year or two but what you're looking for out of the next five ten plus years you know out of your whole career do you know what you want to I mean obviously you've mentioned you're applying to drama schools so do you reckon the goal for you would, would you be looking to set up a similar company again in the future or, or is it sort of you're more focused on performance and such at the moment I think currently yeah I'm focused on performing and I'm focused on getting my career started um but I've been teaching freelance um, voice because I've just recently become actually a certified voice teacher with vocal health first aid oh, in the UK. Thank you. And um, I think eventually or because like obviously like even if you get a first job, like a second job is not guaranteed, etc. So there will be lulls in your career and like, you know, actors who were working have now been out of work for a year because of the pandemic. So you know, teaching is a nice side hustle and maybe to eventually develop a school that has um, like an after school program or curriculum for kids who are serious about um, performing because I don't really feel like one exists. You know, you could go to a dance class, you can go to voice classes, but there isn't like 
any place or any school I think that has like a set curriculum that encompasses um you know how to sort of the I guess pre-professional journey almost like a structured course as opposed to like one-off lessons exactly and I think you know me personally I've benefited from that um and I think there are lots of kids who would because, again, going to these one-off classes, like, it takes discipline or very, very forceful parents. <laughs> and <laughs> I think just providing a nice course that sort of encompasses everything, especially for musical theater. Um, outside of the UK, college is not really a thing. So, like, you can't really specialize. Like, you go to high school and you do your set subjects. Um, and there isn't really, like any other kind of, I guess, curricular qualification that you can get besides that. And so that would be something, I guess, that I would be looking to start maybe, I don't know, like 10, 15 years down the line, like not right now. No, that sounds really cool. Do you think there's, um, in your experience of obviously meeting a lot of people very fast in the Exeter community to circle it back, there's that kind of, that tension between knowing people professionally and then knowing them as friends and then realizing because it's not theater and 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 i think i would say the creative industries in general because they kind of work project to project as far as i can tell you meet a bunch of people per project Mm -hmm. and you feel suddenly like oh they're my family i know them this that and the other but do you think how do you go about uh every project kind of maybe with the knowledge that there is, you're going to make friends that you're never going to see again. Cause I know there's a bunch of people from uni that I know. And there were days when I was like, wow, I'm probably never going to see this person again, despite being friends with them because I'm just not yeah. that good of friends with them. What are your thoughts on, on, on those kinds of, those kinds of relationships and trying to either pursue them or leave them or what's, what's give us your wisdom, Steph. Yeah. <laughs> I think within the context of, like, community theatre or student theatre, there is a really blurred line between, like, friendship and then, I guess, being on a creative team or a person person of authority. Because, like, in the professional industry, you know who's your boss, and there's those very, very clear lines. And you could be friends with them, but there still is that clear, clear line. Whereas in amateur or more student theater, there isn't. Mm. And I do think sometimes it gets muddled. The people that I have personally really stayed in touch with are people who were able to draw those lines when it was needed Mm. and then take them away when it was appropriate. The people that I've not stayed really close with are the people where that line was super blurred and you don't know the boundaries of your relationships. So, like, I like to use, I guess, someone like Lynn or David and Sarah as an example who have all directed me, but who are all, like, very, very close friends of mine as well. They were able to put those lines and put those boundaries when they were in director mode. And it's like, I'm the director now, you are my actor, this is how we're going to work. And then we could take that line away and go to the pub and talk about something else. Um, Whereas the people who were like, oh yeah, you're directing me, but we're also really friends, so please let me get away with being late or not knowing my lines or whatever. 
and then not accepting it when you did put the fist down and go, no, wait, hang on a second. I am your musical director. I am your director. I have a right to say these things to you. Those are the relationships that have sort of faded. Um, and maybe as well, I guess, to be honest, I the relationships that have stayed with me are more between directors that I've known rather, or producers that I've known rather than other actors. Um, I don't know. I think maybe there's like, there's always that underlying competition between other actors where you're viewed as someone to sort of beat in the next audition. And so like when you get cast and stuff, you're friends. But then when that show's done, it's like, oh, now we're on to the next audition and you're my competition again. Mm. Um, which I think I is I, interesting. I suffer Ooh. from that. I suffer from that. Yeah. I know that. I think we've discussed it before, and Emily, on this. Yeah. Like... And I don't know. I mean, like, Harry, it, it's weird. Like, for me, a lot of the people who I have, at least actors who I have been close with, are men, not women. And I think it is because of that competition. Um, you mm. know, other women are your competition, whereas, like, men are like, okay, well, we're not going to go for the same parts anyway, so we can just actually be friends. Yeah, it's, I think it's such Unless a hard line Hamlet. to, like, be able to to sort of toe. And I, I've had, I mean, so I'm not coming from an acting perspective. I do more directing, um, which can be a skill in itself in order to... Oh, um, absolutely. Like, work out when to be friends with everyone. And also, I remember, particularly when I was doing student theatre, because you're working with, like, people who are your peers and might even be your friends outside of the show. And so to except that actually sometimes it might be that all the cast are going are gonna to become best friends and you might end up being a bit removed because of the role you're in was tough. But like, you know, I know I've, my current job, um, there's sort of a load of us who are a similar age, all kind of starting out in the industry and we're constantly all going up against each other for the same jobs. And yeah, I think luckily most of us have kind of come to this point where we're all able to just sort of say like, you know what that's that's just how it is and we've all you know I'm I'm quite sort of like proud of everyone to be able to I suppose just put pride aside I suppose and um you know we've all kind of said congratulations to everyone else when they've got the job over us or you know and accept that hopefully they'll be happy for me when it's my turn and I'll be happy for them when it's their turn but I think it's such a hard thing to do and I think it often can only really happen if you're good enough friends with someone almost to be able to have that sort yeah, of level of, of kind of not respect as long mm. as you don't respect people that you're not such good friends with, but like that, that level of um, being able to sort of be put, put those feelings aside, I guess. Yeah. It's, I think it's just, it's about getting rid of the pettiness I think that we all have. And I'm not saying that, you know, there have been times when I've been extremely petty about things as well, but <laughs> just, getting rid of that and allowing yourself to be happy for someone else which to be honest from a lot of other actors I guess that I met I never felt that support it was mm. always there was an excuse yeah. as to you know why bad things were being said about me behind my back I mean and this was not only from students this was from full grown adults as well wow which shocked me. Yeah. And was that in the sort of like community theatre setting in Exeter? Or? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Gosh. Yeah. I mean, the things that were said about me um, by a few committee members of a company that I will not name. And then being told this by someone like, I, I basically was told this by um, another cast member of Rent when she joined. She was like, you are not at all what people were saying about you. And I was like, hang on, wait, what were people saying about me? And she sort of said, she, she told me this. And I was just like, wait, hang on. This is like, these are like grown ass people. This is like a woman in her 50s, another woman, maybe probably in her 60s, and then their husbands. Like, are you actually kidding me right now? Like, ridiculous. you're saying this about like a 22 year old. Also, that's like just stuff that's just like not true. And clearly not just keeping it amongst the committee, but also telling people who are in the cast or just anybody who like would openly, ask about the situation. Openly yeah. just being unnecessarily awful. Well, And it's like, yeah, it's just, it's, you just sort of think to yourself as well. Maybe I guess that's also one of the reasons that I guess made me not want to be involved in the extra community scene anymore was just that like, it, it emotionally, is it's emotionally draining. Hmm. Like, knowing that you're trying to do what's best for you and for your company or, uh, you know, a project that you're working on and then having people, like, be assholes about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all I can say is good on you for, like, you know, con- it sounds like you've sort of constantly, while you were at university, made the steps to create the environment that you could get what you wanted out of it and that was an environment that you like being in you know whether it's taking that step out of university to go to join community theatre so that you actually have the opportunity to act and perform and then when the community theatre setting wasn't necessarily the nicest in return you created your own sort of show and and and, um company to do that with which yeah just good on you I guess (laughs) thank you Emily, you what's your position? Because I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on, obviously, you've got a lot of friends from Manchester who have, and you, all your friends in that regard have, you know, you're, mm. you're, you're reasonably close. We've talked to a number of them. Um, what's your perspective, listening from a Manchester perspective, where you had a very positive experience and you have all these positive relationships with a bunch of friends who, a number of them we've talked to. What's your kind of raw input uh, perspective on hearing mine and Steph's slightly less um utopian experience um honestly i think it's just such a shame because for me while i think there is great value and i'm really glad to be you know outside the university setting doing theater now i really enjoyed making the most of those three years of opportunities that i had to make theater in that setting with a load of like-minded people who were all you know sort of in this like young energetic fresh full of ideas some of which were great some of which not so much but hey we'll give them all a go anyway um kind of place and it it was yeah a, a really good experience for me um and so I think from that perspective like I you know I I feel disappointed for both of you because obviously neither of you will have rocked up to university expecting that atmosphere or wanting that that sort of dynamic at the university at all um but also in a certain way I'm not 100% surprised that that ethos and atmosphere exists I kind of touched on it a little bit 
earlier but I mean in my first year it was definitely far more cliquey than it was in my second and third year um I was quite lucky that literally what was the perfect play for me happened to be put on in my first year so I got involved with that but I mean I was one of very few people in my year group who did get involved with the drama society in the first year um and it was kind of to do with the way that plays were put on we the, the society put on loads of plays every year um but uh, in my first year it would all be that um essentially a group of friends would come together go to the committee and say we want to put this on there were certain seasons of plays and basically people could put forward their applications to put on a performance and a certain number would be selected you'd be given a venue a budget etc etc and then in my second year um and you know it was by no means me who led the charge on this so i'm not taking credit for it um but a new system got put into place whereby people would submit a script that they want to be put on whether it was something that they'd written themselves because we did a lot of new writing um or a published play that they wanted to direct so you'd either literally just be submitting the script or yourself as a singular director with a you know published play that you you want to um put on and then other people would apply to be a producer an assistant director a director whatever and then the society would a pick which plays were going to be put on but then also sort of put together those creative teams which would mean that they wouldn't necessarily all be best friends they'd often be people from different year groups who who were in different circles and I think that allowed it to almost be run in a, a more professional manner in terms of you know people were working together and a lot of them became really good friends out of those sort of creative teams that were that were created but it also meant that people who were being cast wasn't just everyone's best mate or their flatmate or whatever um so we actually had that same system oh, really? in Exeter, the one that you just described, except for it did not work uh. like that for the most part. I mean, I remember being on the creative team for Town and being told by the director, we cannot cast this person for X, Y, and Z. And it was like personal reasons. Gosh. It was not about their talent. Interesting. That's really interesting. It's just, yeah. You know, I'm struggling to understand how on earth people can yeah I guess it's quite easy to get sort of like caught up in that almost like uni bubble I'd often refer to it as yeah I I guess it's just a shame that there weren't more people who I suppose like you were sort of doing their best to include more people and didn't just think okay brilliant here's a good excuse for me to have a laugh with my friends for the next couple of months while we work on this show um yeah I mean to be honest I also you know I don't know what it is I I talked to my friend um my two friends Lilla and Katie about this but often being told that I can't do things or I shouldn't do things um because that's not the way it's done Mm. and I don't understand how British culture and British people work and think and I was told that a lot by a lot of different people people who I thought were my friends, people who sort of, I guess, were in positions of power. Um, And then I guess I kind of listened to, not that I'm saying it's the same thing at all, but I was listening to the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry interview with Oprah. Mm. And they were talking about how British, British racism is very different from American racism. So American racism is a lot more direct and in your face, and it's very obviously racism. Whereas British racism comes a lot more as criticism. 
and it's phrased as like you can't do things or you shouldn't do things because this is not how the public or the community will see it and again not that I even experienced it all that much but I did experience it and just like people thinking I guess that that's okay I think that definitely needs to change and not that I'm saying that theater at Exeter is racist but also I don't see that much diversity and people can say all they want that it doesn't exist but it does yeah yeah I think diversity there's a real problem with it with a lot of shows at universities I know we ended up um while I was at uni had a lot of conversations about it and you know I remember us having this conversation on the committee once saying like you know this is getting ridiculous like why why is there not more diversity like within within the society that we're seeing on on stages and everything and we sort of ended up having these conversations around whether the parts aren't there in the first place or whether the the people unfortunately aren't there but you know this uh, the university of manchester is huge <laughs> like of course there are while perhaps the drama course itself wasn't that diverse it's a very diverse university there's loads of international students there's loads of of students from the uk who have all kinds of backgrounds um and i know it was actually the year after i left um they put on a rich tucker green play um and they had an amazing cast oh i mean that's amazing and i to be honest i wish extra would do that because like you said, they might not exist within the department, the people who are doing the course, but there are loads of people, international kids, even at Exeter, like probably not as much as Manchester. But the main comment that you would get is that people just didn't feel welcome by the societies. Mm. And that's why they didn't, like they would maybe go on audition for one show and the experience would, wouldn't be great and they wouldn't feel welcome, so they just wouldn't come back. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have a lot of work to do in order to try and create change in that I think a lot of work needs to be done but I really hope that it's, it's gonna it's, take time yeah yeah and I think but the the thing is that people are not acknowledging it like I said yeah. you know it's easier to acknowledge in the U.S. because it's a lot more in your face there it's obvious mm. whereas it's a lot more subtle in the UK um but that doesn't mean that the problem doesn't exist no no it was interesting I, I watched an interview this morning so at the time of recording the interview with um Megan and Harry came out in the UK last night, US the night before. And this morning I, I put the news on and um, Victoria Derbyshire was in, interviewed. Um, I think he was part of the Society of Editors for sort of like UK newspapers. Mm. And she was interviewing him and was asking him about, I don't know if you've sort of seen on social media, but like, you know, the sort of comparisons between how Kate has been like, portrayed yeah. in the past compared to Megan doing the exact same things but being portrayed in a completely yeah. different light and she didn't even go in asking is this racist she just said like how could this happen and like what what's going to change and he just straight up was like well there's no problem people are just reporting the events and I mean I just sat there with my mouth open you could just see Victoria Derbyshire poor woman trying to like she was she was literally sweating like she just looked shocked and in the end started googling stuff on her phone and said how on earth can you tell me that this is not racism and this man was sat there saying no no it's not and this is one of the people who's in charge of of the british tablet and it just 
the, the sheer, I don't even know if it's denial, but this complete lack of awareness just yeah. shocked me. It really did. And when you have that, and it's so widespread in the country, yeah. people make these subconscious comments and they don't realize how problematic it is. Mm. I mean, yes, okay, you know, I didn't grow up in the UK. I have an American accent. I am, you know, of Middle Eastern origin, so I don't look the same as everyone else. But that doesn't mean that I don't understand other cultures. Like, if anything, I would understand it more because I've been around more. Um, like, I, I mean, just about sort of discussing things in how things are going to work, either within, you know, Evolve My Company or within a creative team in Extra, I was often told, like, you cannot do that or, no, sorry, we can't include this because, well, the British people just won't respond well to it. And it's, it, it's okay, but you just, you just don't know what English people are like. And it's like, if anything, that's furthering, it's making our, like our differences more widespread instead of saying, actually, no, hang on, let's come together. Let's, you know, talk about how I view musical theater as someone who grew up in an American system versus how you grew, you know, you view musical theater mm. in a British system. But that's not done. It's you do things our way and how we expect you to do it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I think particularly um, amongst sort of professional companies as opposed to, like um, Amdram community theatre type companies, there has been a bit more of a movement towards accessibility and have those conversations and, and you know in certain scenarios like quotas like with the drama schools and and stuff like yeah. that that you mentioned earlier. I think it is changing. I mean, like I was told by a teacher when I was younger um, that I shouldn't really look to get into this industry because there aren't many roles for people who look like me. And that a lot of the dream roles that I've had are just like, they're too far-fetched. Like this teacher was like, that's never going to happen. You need to sort of think more practically. And then doing a bit more professional work and then talking to an agent actually um, last year before this pandemic, who then said the opposite and said, no, in this industry right now, push your ethnicity, mm. like push it, push the fact that you are different, that you look different, that you sound different. Um, and I think people need to do that, like you said, until there is an even playing field. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, Harry, on that note, um, and not to make light of the conversation we've just had, but to, say. to perhaps um, end things on a slightly um, lighter note, I suppose. I don't know whether Harry has told you, but we like to try and I play. I have not. Okay, well, we like to try and play a little game with everyone who comes on, if that's okay with you. Um, partially I just to sort of see games. your creative process when you get given situations. But I think, you know, many of us have faced difficult situations while starting out in the industry, and by n I'm sure they will continue. However, some of them, you end up being put in scenarios that are perhaps a little bit unusual. Perhaps it's not the world's best show, or... There are certain issues around <laughs> budget or ideas and, and such. Um, and so we've got a little creative brief that we'll give to you. And we'd like to just see how you'd go about tackling it, if that's okay. Absolutely. Harry, do you want to take it away? Yeah. So we've, we've, it's, it's both vague and specific at the same time. So 
you've been cast in uh, a supporting role. It's still a, a big role, but a supporting role in a, in a new. It's a new writing musical. Um, that's it's jazz age, nineteen twenties, about a group of friends who have found a shared love for literature in the time of the Roaring Twenties and parties and all that kind of stuff. Um, however, your character has very little details on the page as to, and you're not particularly like, you're compelled by the concept, but not necessarily by the details in the writing. So what I think we want to know is what, if, how would you approach that role? What would be the questions you'd ask? What would be the conversations you'd have? What are your thoughts upon um, approaching that project as you, as you, realize the gaps maybe uh mm -hmm. on the page how do you take that uh forward so well the first thing i would do is what i do with any show anyways just look at what clues the text does give you because even if you it's not super duper obvious if ib literature has taught us anything it's to read in between the lines <laughs> and to pull things out um subsequently i would look at also the relationships between the different characters because that really sort of helps let you or inform yourself about your own character their relationships with others um i don't think there's an issue during the process just asking the director uh, sorry i can't speak <laughs> asking the director if you're not sure on anything i think they'd always rather you do that than do something outlandish and then have to be corrected on it um and then finally i think again like a lot of you know characters in theater especially musical theater and new age musicals i guess um in particular there's a lot of interpretation that can be had and people are looking at you to see what you bring to a role um so for example like every person who plays alphabet and wicked is not going to be exactly the same version of alphabet they're all going to have like a different interpretation and I think you can do that. You know, things are not super duper rigid in theater. And I think taking creative liberty as an actor um, to a certain extent, I feel like actually most directors and producers appreciate that. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you for doing that. Um, and obviously for coming on in general. If you would like to, um, we also like to give everyone 30 seconds to plug I have the timer. Oh, fab. It's normally me. <laughs> when I was out suddenly thinking on my phone. I, I know. Thought I'm it's, not my, ready. it's my friend. I have the timer. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we will give you 30 seconds to plug whatever you want, whether that's how people can find you on social media, things that you would like to do, or anything like that. Any plugs that you have. Harry, when you're... Are you going to tell me when yeah. to go? <laughs> I am going to tell, tell you when to go. I am going to tell you when to go. Don't worry. Um, so in three, two, one, go. So just to, I guess, see what I'm up to, follow me on social media, um, Instagram and TikTok. I have the same handle, Steph underscore Yanuka. It's Steph with a P-H and Yanuka is Y-I-A-N-N-O-U-K-A. If you just like to see some fun singing videos or if you actually do want voice lessons, I can help both amateurs and professionals because she is now a certified voice teacher. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Damn, you had that ready. <laughs> On that bombshell. Um, while we feel old. To keep referencing Top Gear. Um, thank you, Steph, for, for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, we had some really good conversations there, I think. 
um i'm really glad we had had those chats with steph and she, yeah. she was really interesting to talk to oh she's she's prime for that i think <laughs> you know I, i've lost count of the number of times that we've we've had conversations similar um and they're important um like really important to have those kinds yeah. of conversations especially in an industry that is you know people dream about and it's not always sunshine and rainbows and that's important no. to discuss uh you know even if we're not going to solve the world's problems in you know what is it 45 minutes of a conversation um yeah. just having it makes you know makes you feel a little bit better or a little bit exactly. or a little bit worse and i think that's it it's it's <laughs> yes we're not solving any, like things but it's the start of a conversation or a continuing of a conversation rather than the whole thing and yeah, so yeah for sure i i have no doubt that a lot of the things that we brought up we will almost circle back around to at some point and um and continue this discussion yeah i mean you, i mean i've meant i've made mentioned to you post um recording it the amount that i've thought about it right so if nothing else like mm. it's really caused me to reflect and to think and i think that's you know really important because it's easy to yeah. just hold an opinion sometimes discussing it you can you know really pry open those those corners of your brain and mm. what you think um and hey I you think, know what if this conversation made you think then there's definitely right? hope that uh, at least exactly. at least some of you listening hopefully a, it'll, it'll give you a bit of a think as well yeah if that's that's all i can ask Thank you for listening to The Importance of Staying Earnest. If you want to keep up with us outside the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at T-I-O-S-E underscore podcast or on Facebook at The Importance of Staying Earnest podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at T-I-O-S-E dot podcast at gmail.com. Please drop us a review if you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.